This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Good morning, agents. Welcome to The Briefing Room here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the Showtime series, Homeland. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my executive co-director, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, Charlie? Well, I just got out of the psychiatric ward, which was a plus, but my credit cards are maxed out, and uh, I don't know where my car is, and there are people stalking me and following me around in a very sketchy black car, and I'm kind of in hiding right now, Andrew. Well, I'm on the run with a potential murderer, so it sounds like we're both kind of in trouble. <laughs> you know, I think I heard something about that potential murderer, although I think it was for um, a completely, it was like in Miami or something, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. (laughs) Oh, man. Today we're going to be discussing episode four of season three of Homeland. The episode is titled Game On. It was written by James Yoshimura and Alex Gansa, and it was directed by David Nutter. This is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't seen this episode of the show, you should go away, catch up on Homeland, and then come back. As always, you can email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com. We also have a brand new voicemail line that you can call and leave us feedback. We'd love to get your thoughts on this episode of Homeland. Uh, Just call 336-793-2509 and let us know what you think. Again, that's 336-793-2509. And who knows, maybe we will uh, play your feedback on the air at some point. All right, let's talk Homeland. Charlie, why don't you remind our listeners what happened in Game On? This is the official synopsis from Showtime.com. Carrie learns that even in its crippled state, the CIA can still exercise power when needed. Dana goes AWOL, forcing Jessica to call the police... And Saul and Farah follow the money trail to an unexpected location, and Carrie has a meeting. Spoiler alert, Saul and Carrie were in cahoots all along. <gasps> oh my god. All right, before we start talking about it, here's a clip. Which circuit court in Maryland? Sixth. Well, do they have jurisdiction over a county mental hospital in Arlington, Virginia? Okay, thanks. Carrie? Yeah, I just heard. She's angry and vulnerable right now. She could be saying anything to anybody. Do we know who petitioned the judge to get her discharged? No. Maybe it was her family. Not according to her father, it wasn't. The agency's still weak, Saul. It could die of the common cold. And she's a full-blown contagion. Find her. Get her off the street. Okay, Charlie. To start off, let's just give some general thoughts on this episode. I'll start off, Charlie, the show's back on track! (laughs) Like, after last week's episode, I was like, this is good, but it's also kind of clunky, and I'm not quite sure where it's going. And then in this episode, I just felt like, all right, I'm confident, it looks like the writers know what they're doing. This was all part of their larger plan. Saul and Carrie are working together again. All right, let's go take down some Iranian terrorists. (laughs) 
So overall, I liked this episode, and the one small quibble I have is that I'm a little bit unsure about where this stuff with Dana and Leo is headed, but I'm not at the point of some viewers yet where I'm just like, oh, screw this subplot. I'm still on board for now. I'm just, I'm a little, a little concerned. I'm concerned about Dana, too, because... I, I like Dana, but this is a very fishy subplot, and it just feels like it's com- out of a completely different show. Um, I agree with you. I love the stuff that they did with Carrie, and I like the stuff that they did with Saul and Farah. I like the fact that it did what it did uh, so well last week, which is uh, it puts you right in Carrie's shoes, where you don't know what's going on. They make you as paranoid as she is because they hide just enough information from you in order to feel as if you're going through this journey with her. I really liked everything that they did with her. There is a scene where she talks to someone on a bench uh, later on in the episode where, oh, I'm forgetting the character's name. It's Martin Donovan, right? Yes, he plays a character named Bennett. Yeah, that was a scene where I was just like, oh, of course Carrie's not going to help you. What, like, how can he even try to convince her that, like, this is a good idea based off of all of the fit, this, like, really sketchy information that he's given her and clearly implied that they're kind of, uh, that they're basically very uh, anti-American because they imply that they might have something to do with the Langley bobbing. And they also reveal that um, the six people who were wiped out in the first episode of this season, those men were working for this guy. He gives a monologue to Carrie at the end of it. And it was so, like, actually pretty terrifying that even though we now know that this was part of a plan, even when I was watching it through the perspective of uh, Carrie really is being put in this horrible situation, I totally understood why she felt pressured to negotiate with him. And I love what they're doing with that. The one thing I will say, and it's the main quibble that I have with this episode, but it might be cleared up in later episodes, is when exactly did Saul and Carrie make this plan? How far back does it go? Is that why she was looking to meet Saul the entire time in the hospital? Well, Alex Gonza has given some answers to that question. But before we dive into that, is there anything else in general you want to say about this episode? No, I I liked it. There was one scene with Dana that I liked, but uh, I feel like whenever it went back to Dana and Leo, it kind of lost momentum and it felt uh, like the pacing was a bit off. And I'm not a Dana hater at all. I just I I just don't think that subplot that they're presenting right now is it, it doesn't really correlate with the what they're doing with the rest of the show. And it just feels like it's out of something on ABC Family. Okay, well, let's start off by just talking about the big reveal that happens at the end, which is we discover that Carrie and Saul have been in cahoots for a while. They're actually not completely at each other's throats, and this is all part of a larger plan to draw out these Iranian extremists who are responsible for the Langley bombing. Uh, You asked when we're supposed to believe they started this plan. According to Alex Gonza, they started this plan immediately after the Langley bombing. So, like, the very last scene of uh, the season two finale where, like, she looks at Saul and Saul kind of smiles at her. They went straight from that to this, and basically everything that we've been watching has been Carrie basically acting a certain way to get to this point. Everything in season three that we've seen so far has been, was, was part of a premeditated plan by them. And I have mixed feelings about that. Kind of like you, I I think it's a really great idea. 
I'm not quite sure how much sense it makes if you actually go back and rewatch it because those emotions seem so real at the time as you're watching it. I, I can't believe that it's just acting, that, that Carrie is just acting. So I, I, I'm choosing to believe that, yes, this was premeditated, but then as she got into it, she didn't realize quite how hard it was going to be. And that some of it is legitimate anger and frustration with the fact that she's in the psych ward and that this is the plan that they've ultimately chosen to go with. And how much of her anxiety and uh, how much of her bipolarness really was about, is the plan going to work out that me and Saul have made? And how much of it was true angst because of what we believed we thought she was doing originally? So that raises some questions. I, I'm guessing if we're going to go by what Alex Gonza says, we're supposed to believe that her going off her meds was part of the plan, which means that, sh sure, I guess you could argue those manic episodes and those emotions that she was feeling were real because she was intentionally going off her meds. I'm not quite sure how well it holds together if you stop and think about it, but I'm willing to go with it, and I think it's a great plot twist. Yeah, I'm willing to go with it mainly because it sets up an interesting direction for this plot to uh, move forward in because looking back on it, you know, I was a little frustrated by it at first, more frustrated than I was satisfied by it at first. But thinking about where the show can go from here, it's promising enough for me to overlook possible plot holes and just go with it for now. I think that it will depend on how well the next few episodes are executed in terms of uh, whether or not this plot twist is a good plot twist and whether it is worth kind of being manipulated for the first three episodes. But I guess we'll have to see what happens in the next few weeks. I really liked the cat and mouse game in this episode where you've got Carrie kind of on the run from the CIA and from this guy, Franklin, who keeps following her. And I like how she's, it seems like she's trying to run away like Dana. She's trying to get away from it all, but she can't because she doesn't have any money. And even when she goes and sleeps with that Brody lookalike again, Franklin still follows her. And I like how in the moment you feel like, oh man, these people are intimidating. The fact that they're keeping up with her through all of this. But I like how later we learn, oh, she was counting on that. She was counting on them being able to keep up with her. And then at the end, when she finally meets Saul, she says that it took her like five hours yeah. to, to lose them. <laughs> I was like, okay, you're dedicated. I can buy it. Yeah, and at least she said stuff like that that clarified how hard this was for her. And I think that that scene at the end was just so powerful that it justified being kind of manipulated for the first three episodes to get to this point because Claire Danes and Mandy Patinkin are always fantastic together. And I thought that the final scene of this episode was pretty spectacular. Well, one of the things we complained about last week was that I think we both just kind of felt like, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of feels like it's getting a little bit too slow. It's getting a little bit too depressing. They need to do something to kick things into gear. And I like how finally with this reveal, it's like, oh, maybe they're not so depressing after all. And now she and Saul aren't total enemies. They can work together again. And that's what we love to see. Yay. Exactly. And it felt real. It all felt real. Even when they have to say some ridiculous things or they uh, reveal that they've been... Because this plan is a little ludicrous when you really think about it. I mean, this would be a lot harder to pull off in reality than in a television series. But, you know, they just sell it so well. And going back to Carrie being followed by these guys, I like little things in this episode that you don't think are going to add up to much, but come back 
back later. At one point after Leo's busted out of the psychiatric ward, he tosses Dana's phone out of the car window. And she says, what do you do that for? And he said, they can track us through that. And she says, well, they're going to catch us anyway. And he says, well, that doesn't mean we have to make it easy for uh, them to find us. And when Carrie is sleeps with the guy, who the Brody lookalike, she checks her phone. And then as she checks her phone, the car pulls up behind her. And I was just like, oh, were they tracking her through her phone? Was that part of what they were trying to do? Because at first I was like, wait, how did they manage to know this random stranger that she's sleeping with? Oh, I, I just assumed that they were following her. Oh, yeah. Because like, at the same time, like, did he just park his car outside of the house for the entire night and bring like a really thick Stephen King paperback novel or something and just like read for the whole night and just wait? (laughs) Yep. But I was kind of thinking, how could they find her? Like, she seemed to be pretty hard to detect. And just little lines like that cell phone thing where they don't even hit you over the head with the character going, I tracked you through your cell phone. Like, I just thought I just think little nice touches like that are uh interesting in this show all right well let's talk about some of the other stuff that's going on in in this episode no brody again this week we got our fill of brody in episode three apparently and also no chris this episode (laughs) come on i'm telling you man he's the magician (laughs) carrie's gonna go into some like boardroom or something and there's gonna be like a very very tall chair that rotates or something and it's just gonna like slowly reveal that chris is sitting there in a tux or his karate uniform (laughs) or something (laughs) well we did get martin donovan as leland bennett and i love martin donovan he's great we also got Virgil's first appearance of the season. Yay! Yay! And Mike! <laughs> yes! Diego Klattenhoff is back as Mike. We've been wondering, where is Mike? Did he just skip town after the Langley bombing? Was he like, all right, Jess, this is too much. I'm out. <laughs> you nearly expect him to like uh, pop out of a bush when Je- uh, Jess is like walking up the driveway and for him to be like, surprise! <laughs> like, <laughs> you forgot about me, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So he's back. Apparently, that the actor Diego uh, Klattenhoff is now on the blacklist. Oh, so I'm not sure if maybe we're just going to be seeing less of him on Homeland as a result. But if so, they need to figure out a good way to explain that. They try to hint at it in this episode when Jess is like, "I should have let you move in." Yeah. But I didn't, and then maybe there's some tension between the two of them as a result. I don't know. But they just I think they need to do a little bit more to explain why he's not going to be around as much. Because I do like Mike, and I, I do think that the show benefits from his presence. Yeah, I do like Mike, too. And they, you're right. It's, it's kind of like he just acted as if he'd been there the whole time, when in actuality, several weeks have gone by, uh, at least from what I can remember several weeks have gone by in season three even though there's only been four episodes now and like mike has not been around so i just assume that he's always been there but we never see him like he's talking to jessica in scenes we're not seeing that are off screen i don't know yeah i don't know that's it's weird but i'm glad he's back i hope that he will continue to show up in the future oh i did think it was pretty cool how virgil let carrie know that something was up Yeah, I liked that too. It gave you a bit of a jolt, like after he hung up the phone and you're just kind of like, whoa, what? But in a good way. Say hi to your mom for me. What? Yeah. Is he he going all Mark Wahlberg on her? Hey, say hi to your mother for me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I also thought of the band, say hi to your mom, but maybe that's just me because I'm a weird, (laughs) I have weird, obscure taste in indie rock. So (laughs) do you want to talk about the Dana and Leo plot line? Yeah, let's talk about Dana and Leo. Here's the thing. 
I think it's kind of weird that you've got these two high school kids that are able to so easily go flip cars. Uh, not only do they flip cars, I'm pretty sure they exchanged their car for a worse one. Yeah. <laughs> like, that car looked terrible. <laughs> well, I did I did like how they had that whole idea in this episode of, because of what Brody did, now everybody recognizes Jessica and Dana and kind of associates them with Brody and what he did. And so you have the mechanic that just looks at Dana and is like, hey, I know you, and that's it, end of discussion, they no longer have any leverage. I liked that a lot better than when Leo's mom said, he's under a bad influence. What? We know who you are, Mrs. Brody. I thought that was a little too heavy-handed. It but. was a little bit too heavy-handed, but it overall works for me because, of course, any time something like that happens in real life, there's going to be issues, you know, yeah. with, with other parents and other kids. And there's part of me that is just surprised they didn't immediately move right after the Langley bombing. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, their whole lives would be upended after something like that. You know, yeah. any, anytime you read about some horrible atrocity or some tragedy occurring in a, in, a, in a town or in a city like that, you always hear about people being harassed or eventually just having to move to sort of start over. Otherwise, that event will just follow you everywhere. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that the Brody family didn't relocate to someplace like Kansas or Montana. Or somewhere with some better tax policies for filming. <laughs> <laughs> also, can we talk about this plot twist that comes in at the end of the Dana-Leo plotline, where Mike has to tell Jessica that Leo has a homicidal charge against him? He, yes, that he may have actually killed his brother. Why don't the parents say anything to Jessica? It was weird to me that they were like putting so much pressure on Jessica and they don't even mention that their son is like possibly murdered their brother and that maybe Dana's in danger too. Like, Well, that's because it was covered up because it was part of a plea agreement. So obviously they don't want anyone to know about this and might yeah. have to do some digging to figure it out. And we're still not sure what the situation is. That's the main part of that story arc I'm not quite sure about. We'll see how they develop it over the next few episodes. But I'm wondering if in making him a murderer or a potential murderer, I wonder if they're trying, if they're again going to try and make that parallel with other characters, where now uh, Leo is going to be like Brody, where maybe people think he murdered others and he actually didn't or or something like that see i think this is showtime trying to be really ambitious and do a crossover of shows because we find out that leo's brother was also a, they were irish twins or something mm -hmm. so i think what happened is that leo actually killed the same character that this actor played in dexter and uh now they're crossing over shows it's <laughs> leading <laughs> No, I don't think Leo killed him. I think it was a brain surgeon from season eight of Dexter killed him, and somehow Leo took the rap for it. Oh yeah, no, 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 definitely. <laughs> that makes that makes much more sense. But uh, yeah, I can't wait till Dana and Leo uh, end up road tripping to Miami. <laughs> yeah, I'm jury's still out on where that storyline's going to lead. I, I'm not going to completely dismiss it just yet. We'll see how they develop it. Uh, because as we've talked about in season two, you know, a lot of people didn't like everything with the hit and run. But that, again, was meant to parallel what Brody and Carrie were going through at certain points during the season. So I'm, there's a part of me that thinks, well, maybe they're going to do that again. Maybe they're just going to have Dana serve as a parallel to what other characters are going through to, to kind of hit on those same themes. I guess I just feel that the hit and run was so much more realistic because 
that sort of stuff can happen all the time. And here it's like a bunch of kids escape from a psychiatric ward and they're road tripping and they're changing cars and they're smoking pot and listening to the worst stoner music I think I've ever heard in my life. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they seem like pretty smart kids, but like, Jesus, like that was the worst. <laughs> like what kind of Showtime made a bunch of money off this show, right? They can get some better songs than that. They're kids, man. They don't have good taste in music. <laughs> are you kidding i mean not like i had the greatest taste in music in high school but i got into some good stuff i mean my dad got me into nirvana and rage against the machine so like pink floyd look they're both damaged people okay and clearly their their taste in music is damaged as part of what they've been through in their traumatic experiences <laughs> but yeah i guess that my main point being hit and run makes sense because that happens with teenagers all the time this is a little over the top where okay it's a bunch of kids road tripping and he's escaped from a psychiatric ward and oh wait he might be a murderer and what well how does this relate to what's going on because the hit and run they made it very clear what they were trying to parallel it with with uh everything going on with brody here it's like not paralleled with anything yet and maybe it'll add up to something in future episodes that'll parallel well with what's going on with carrie and brody and saul but it's just kind of a big question mark for me right now I just I don't know what to walk away with this from apart from like a feeling of suspense that Dana might be in danger but it's not really doing it in a way that gets me to think about anything else that this show is trying to focus on it's not even very entertaining on its own right we'll have to wait and see how they develop it over the course of the next few episodes the last thing I, I want to touch on is this relationship between Saul and Farah seems like they're getting along pretty well they're following the money trail they are getting along. Everything's going nice and smoothly. There were moments during his interactions with her that I almost felt like she was becoming the new Carrie. Yeah, no, definitely. He's showing her the ropes. He's showing her how it's done. He's getting her to think about the best way to go about this and to be patient. And that was really interesting to me. I liked everything going on with them, and I like that montage sequence. It sums up a large amount of information in a very short period of time without murking it up. It becomes very clear how all of this money is being funded for the terrorists. And um, I assume that this is all going to lead back to, you know, the doctor, quote unquote. They're going to end up in Venezuela at some point, I imagine, or something's going to go down with Brody, because I don't think we're going to have Brody be absent from next week, or, or I'd be very surprised. I liked Saul's interactions with Farrah, though, because, again, for most of the episode, you were thinking, oh, man, I guess Saul really has moved on from Carrie. I guess he really does not want to talk to her, and now he's got his new protege. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, Carrie's been left behind. And that made it even more satisfying when you found out that, no, he hasn't forgotten about Carrie at the very end. Mm -hmm. I like Farrah. She's a strong, intelligent female character. Saul's not holding her hand, you know. She's actually explaining everything to Saul, which I liked, instead of Saul giving, you know, a rehash of a lecture he gave from episode two. I like the fact that they've uh, developed her as a very strong character who is also Muslim. Gwen brought up last week how uh, she was worried that the show was going to depict every Muslim as a terrorist, and uh, I think Farah is a great example of them showing, no, no, we're not going to do that. Look, it's, it's, she's going to be one of the strongest characters right now, and she's the smartest person in the room with Saul. She even makes suggestions to Saul when Saul confidently states that they have to go in one direction, and then she actually corrects him and actually persuades him over to uh, her side of the story, which is what I really like about their relationship. 
Well, you brought up Brody and, and everything that's going on with Brody. Now that Carrie and Saul are trying to lure out these Iranian terrorists, and we know that uh, it's all connected to Majid Javadi, who we're assuming is somewhere in Caracas, it is possible now that, yeah... As we mentioned last week, maybe Brody is being held by Maji Javadi and, and, and some sort of terrorist gang. So even if Carrie and Saul manage to lure out these terrorists, obviously Brody could be a wrinkle in their plans. If, if Carrie finds herself torn between, okay, I want to take out these terrorists, but at the same time they have Brody. Yeah, I mean, I doubt this would happen, but, like, what if they just get Brody so addicted to heroin that they start, he starts becoming dependent on heroin, and then they brainwash him all over again? Well, I don't, I don't know if they would ever do anything like that, but we've talked about before how there are suggestions that maybe Damian Lewis won't be on the show for much longer, and he it seems like he's kind of getting tired of the show, and the writers could potentially write him off. At any moment, they they originally had planned on writing him off at the end of season one and having him actually blow up the bunker, Ooh. But, but they've kept him around. So I'm, I think it would be really interesting, and again, this is complete speculation, but I, I think it'd be interesting if later on in the season, Carrie and Saul realize, oh no, we have a chance to take out Majid Javadi, but they have Brody, and ultimately they just decide, well, you got to take him out, even if that means taking out Brody. Yeah. Or if Saul went ahead and gave that order without Carrie's... Carrie's consent, yeah. Consent. yeah. I think that would be really interesting. I guess my big question is, once they kill off Brody, are they going to keep his family around too? Because as much as I like Dana, they don't really seem to be totally focused on the story they're portraying with her, at least from what we've seen so far. So, like, is Brody's whole family going to get, like, gunned down by, like, a South American mob or something? I don't know. <laughs> like, no, no. Then it would just turn into them dealing with the grief of, oh, Brody, we found out he's innocent, probably, but now he's dead. <laughs> oh, no. They'll have their own spinoff show. It'll be, like, uh, Seventh Heaven with the Brodies or something. The Brodies! Yeah, the Brodies! What's that? new sitcom or whatever on ABC, the Goldbergs. It'll be oh, like the Goldbergs, Goldbergs, yeah. Except, except the Brodies. <laughs> the Brodies can move next door. Yeah. <laughs> they can share a show. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sitcoms, at one point, before we find out that this is all a big plan, when nothing was going Carrie's way, I was thinking to myself, you know, you could add a laugh track in the, a bunch of these scenes and it'll be really darkly funny. Like, <laughs> Carrie's just like, where's my car? My bank is shut down. My cards don't work. Everyone's following me. Like, what? Like, it almost seemed like as if it was like a really dark episode of a sitcom <laughs> it's like something like like an episode of louie with carrie matheson <laughs> or when that guy is like well i have one bed and one couch and carrie's like i guess i'll take the bed <laughs> oh laugh track and then it applauds and uh, yeah you hear like the applause <laughs> as she uh, enters into the house and then it like cuts to a commercial break if it was on abc or something yeah sex all right <laughs> oh man okay is there anything else you want to say about game on i'm definitely intrigued uh i don't know where the show is gonna go from here i mean obviously we know that carrie's gonna go undercover it's interesting now because it seems as if Carrie's uh, going to be in the position that she put Brody in last season. So that's an interesting parallel. And at the same time, even though Saul's on her side, we don't know what the rest of the CIA is. And they still can uh, tear her apart. 
that that monologue that the magician's uh, henchman did give to that he gave to Carrie on the bench. I feel like that's still pretty valid, even though that she's got Saul back on her side. We know Saul's on her side, but you know, does the rest of the CIA know about this? I'm not sure. We we don't know, and I feel like Carrie is gonna. She's like in an even worse position than Brody because she doesn't know who to trust except for Saul. Miss Matheson, Leland Bennett. What is this place? The firm keeps it for our more privacy-sensitive clients. It's a pleasure to meet you. I tried to tell your colleague, Mr. Um, Franklin. Mr. Franklin, uh, you're wasting your time. Well, how do you know that when you haven't heard our proposal? Well, I'm not for sale. Well, we're not trying to buy you. Really. And no one's going to ask you to do anything you're too uncomfortable with. Well, I'm already uncomfortable. It's up to you to draw the line you won't cross. And for all I know, you're FBI and this is a sting. What's so funny? You have an active imagination. Well, somebody shut down my bank account and repossessed my car. Your own agency did that to you. Yeah, that's my point. I'm not going to jail. It seems to me you're already there. Right, and uh, as we saw at the end of last season, you know, if when it came down to killing Brody, David Estes didn't feel bad about that at all and was totally willing to go through with it. So yeah, Bennett is right to a certain extent when he says, you know, if if the CIA think you're a liability, they could just kill you and make it look like a suicide or something else, and that is a compelling threat. And we still don't know what Dara Dahl's role is going to be in all of this. I like how Saul. By keeping Dara Dahl focused on Carrie, Saul has distanced him from what's really going on with the money trail. And by keeping him focused on just keeping Carrie in the hospital, he he kept uh, Dara Dahl from like revealing Carrie's name to the press and having that blow up even further than it mm-hmm. needed to be blown up. So I, I think that that dynamic there between the two of them is going to be pretty interesting over the course of this season. Yeah, I'm, I I think that Dara Dahl will find out eventually, and he'll have no problem with throwing Carrie under the bus and won't seek out Saul's consent for this. Or he might not entirely understand what's going on and get Carrie in trouble thinking that she's mucking everything up again. And uh, Well, Dardal also seems like the kind of guy where if he doesn't think that Saul is leading the agency in a good direction, he could make a grab for power or try to set something up against... He could start working against Saul secretly mm-hmm. um, and try to try to get more power and influence for himself. Do you think that Saul will get Farah to help out with this? Because she seems like a trustworthy character. She doesn't seem like she'd just go over to Dara Dahl's side. I, I think so. There's been nothing to indicate that Farah is anything less than trustworthy. So I think that their relationship is on pretty solid footing, at, at least for now. But uh, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of The Briefing Room. Uh, We would love to get your feedback on the show. Don't forget, you can call us at 336-793-2509. Call and let us know what you thought of Game On and where you think it looks like this season is headed. We're now a third of the way through the season, so let us know what you think. You can email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, so if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and our new podcast all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Charlie, where can people find you online? 
You can uh, listen to me and Andrew discuss the eighth and final season of Dexter under the Avenging Angels section of FilmGeekRadio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at CTNash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H 91. You can find some of my writing at Pathios.com and MovieMedsonine.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And never smoke pot while driving with a potential murderer. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!